performance or promise? That's the question. How am I accepted before God? Performance or promise? Uh, I could be the only one, uh, in which case you can just sort of quietly judge me for the next 20 minutes. But in case I'm not, I found this chapter to be a real challenge. It's detailed, it's technical, and in parts, it's quite complicated. I don't think it's as difficult as some of those Eurovision songs to understand, but it is difficult. It's hard. As someone in my growth group commented this week, I feel like Paul could have said the same thing in fewer words. Maybe you agree. Nevertheless, to help us make sense of this chapter, and as a way in, I've given you the whole passage on one page so you can see what's going on. And you see there, I've highlighted some repeated words for you. I've highlighted the words faith and believe. Now, you don't need to know this, but in case you're a train spotter, that's the same word in Greek. Okay, faith and belief. It's a translation decision, which one you choose. So I've highlighted them, I think, in yellow. And you'll see I've also highlighted references to the law. Now, that's Jewish law. All right, think Ten Commandments, think food laws, circumcision, all those restrictive and detailed elements that go into the Jewish law. That's what's being spoken about here. And you can see, if you've counted them up, there are 16 references to faith and 16 references to the law. Now, so far, that's just information, but it's information that helps us because even if we miss the finer detail of this chapter, we can at least say it's going to have something to do with faith and the law. Let me lay my cards on the table. I reckon the big question being addressed here is how you make progress in the Christian life. What happens after you become a Christian? What do you do? The Galatians have become Christians by receiving with faith the message preached by Paul about Christ crucified. Terrific. Brilliant. But while Jesus' death may bring you into relationship with God, apparently staying in relationship with God, well, that's a different matter. You're now going to have to complete the Jewish law, apparently. Come into relationship with God by Jesus. Stay in relationship with God by completing a moral code. Now, if that's true, think of the implications of that. If it's true, then God's ongoing acceptance of you depends not on Jesus, but on your performance. Performance or promise to which Paul says, you fools. Or if you prefer, in the immortal words of John McEnroe, you cannot be serious. You continue in the Christian life, says Paul, the same way you began, by faith, in the received message of Christ crucified for sinners. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now going to try and finish by means of the flesh or by human effort? That's Paul's question. Performance or promise, which is it? There's a lot on the line. So let's see how this plays out. In your service sheet, you can see an outline of where we're heading. Follow with me from verse 1. You foolish Galatians, if they weren't offended yet, they are now. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit, that is, did you become Christians by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
It's as if the Galatians are under a spell. And to break the spell, Paul needs to use some very strong language. I read one old school commentator who put it like this, you dear idiots. Uh, Just imagine the gasps as people heard this letter being read in the small house churches of Galatia. You fools. It's a mix of anger and fear of sadness and frustration. Paul's not fighting the Galatians, although it might seem like that. He's fighting for the Galatians. He loves these people and he's terrified that their salvation has been shipwrecked by false teaching. God's forgiveness, his invitation to eternal life, the gift of the Spirit. Did you receive these, Paul asks, by observing Jewish customs? Think circumcision, special days. Or did you receive God's spirit by taking God at his word? Receiving by faith the preached message of Christ crucified. Which was it? Tell me, says Paul. Since most of you Galatians have no Jewish heritage, I'm going to be really interested to know, says Paul, how you could possibly have made yourself acceptable to God by following a law that you hadn't received. Tell me, I'd love to know. What you heard with your ears, Galatians, you received in your hearts by faith, Christ crucified for sinners. That's where your Christian life began. You couldn't be more accepted, more loved, more welcome, more cherished by God than what you already are. And so that being the case, why then, having been brought into relationship with God, tell me, Galatians, why are you now trying to justify yourselves? Why are you trying to justify yourselves before God on the basis of your performance? Is God so unpredictable that his love depends on your ability to impress him? As if you can be in one minute and out the next. I was filling out a passport application for my neighbour this week and it occurred to me, when a person takes on Australian citizenship, imagine it's after the ceremony now and everybody's inspecting your certificate. It's one of those lovely moments. You're enjoying a cup of tea in a lamington. I don't know, maybe a Vegemite sandwich as well. And the Governor General stops proceedings and he turns around, he gathers everybody's attention and he says to them, look, today you've become citizens. Brilliant. That's wonderful. You, gee, welcome aboard. Now, let's have a conversation about how you remain citizens. You're going to need to play these sports. You're going to need to eat these foods. I don't know about that foreign stuff. We'll have to get a ruling on that. You can work Monday to Friday, Saturday by negotiation, but definitely not Sunday because that's the Sabbath. That's not how Australian citizenship works. Retaining your status as a citizen has nothing to do with what sports you play or what food you prefer. Now, I'll I'll agree, the analogy is not perfect, but work with me. In a similar way, your status as a Christian doesn't depend, it's not conditional on your achievement of a moral code like the Jewish law. Your status depends entirely on the work of another as you receive by faith the preached message regarding Christ crucified. That's the basis of your status But that's not what the Galatians are being told. 
They're being told, gee, it's great that you've put your trust in Jesus. Well done. Let me commend you. You've made a brilliant start now. Let me tell you how you remain a Christian. Let's talk about how you can follow Jewish customs. To which Paul says, you foolish Galatians. That's not how heavenly citizenship works. And to prove the point that God has always accepted people on the basis of faith and not performance, Paul takes us all the way back to Abraham. And this is a masterstroke. If you are ever in an argument with a Jew and you bring in Abraham on your side, then you win. It's the theological equivalent of a royal flush in poker. It doesn't matter what the topic is. If you've got Abraham, you win. Verse 5, so again I ask, Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Now, the answer is implied in the question. God accepts us as we believe the promise. Well, as it was with Abraham, verse 6, so also Abraham believed God. That is, he received by faith the promise he heard from God. Abraham took God at his word. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was right with God. He was in the right with God. That's what the word righteous means. Let's think about the implications of that for a minute. Unrighteous Abraham, because that's what he was, is declared to be in the right with God. Why? Because he took God at his word. That's it. That's all Abraham did. He received a promise, he believed a promise, and on the basis of his faith, he was right with God. And so, despite being 100 years old and Sarah not much less, and Sarah being infertile, Abraham, he receives this promise, you are going to have more descendants, Abraham, than there are stars in the night sky. Abraham, whose name means father of many nations. How many children have you got, Abraham? Well, none. You are going to have more descendants than sand on the seashore, Abraham. He believes the word of promise and is declared to be. This is legal language in the right with God. If you want to be technical, this is the language of justification. So let's be clear about a couple of things. Why should this matter to us? Why is it important? Well, firstly, Satan loves to undermine our confidence at any opportunity. He'll accuse you. You're not worthy. I know it. You know it. Everyone knows it. You are a hopeless Christian. Well, if that's your experience, consider Abraham. When Abraham was declared to be in the right with God. Might seem like a strange question at first, but run with it. Was he circumcised? Because that's the requirement, isn't it? Well, no, he wasn't because the practice of circumcision hadn't been given yet. Well, that's a problem. What about Jewish law? Surely Abraham was a keeper of the law. Everybody knows that God will accept someone who is a law keeper. So what about Abraham? Was he a law keeper? How could he be? The law is hundreds of years in the future. So think of this. You've got unrighteous Abraham, uncircumcised not a keeper of the law, and he is counted in the right with God. How? 
by faith. So also, verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then, you foolish Galatians, that those who have faith in God's promises are children of Abraham. You want to be a child of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify, make right the Gentiles. That's all of us non-Jews. God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel about God's promises in advance to Abraham. And here's the promise. All nations will be blessed through you. All nations, Abraham. Abraham, the father of Israel. Now, that's a problem for us because we're not physical descendants of Abraham. How could we be? But physical descent is of no value here because the promise is by faith. Meaning that from the beginning, God's plan was always to bless the nations, the nation of Israel and the rest, by faith in the same promise. So then, verse 9, all who rely on faith, faith in the crucified Christ, are blessed along with Abraham. And it seems to me, if we think practically about one of the implications of this for a second, among other things, since we are accepted on the basis of faith, resting on the work of another, it seems to me that faith ought to disarm our pride, don't you think? And yet, it's strange that our Christian subculture has a reputation for being argumentative and self-righteous. Now, we can argue whether that reputation is deserved or not, but that doesn't change the fact of it. As spiritual descendants of Abraham, the man of faith who had nothing of value to offer God, like us, we ought to be the most humble people on the planet. Our Christian lives began by faith in the work of the crucified Christ and that's how our Christian life continues. That's the basis of our acceptance before God. So it raises the question, what do we do with the Jewish law? What was the purpose of the law? Verse 9 again, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We've seen that. Well, here's the contrast. Verse 10, all who rely on the works of the law for God's acceptance, they're under a curse. And then Paul quotes the Old Testament. It's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Think of that. If you want to rely on your moral performance as a means of impressing God, you have got your work cut out for you. You know, by the time Paul wrote this, there was something like a bit more than 600 different pieces of Jewish law that regulated your everyday life. Good luck. You'd break a law before you knew it. Oh, and by the way, if like the Galatians, your plan is to impress God with your moral performance, I should mention that the pass mark is 100%. Everyone needs to do everything in the book of the law. It's absurd. And that's the point. The law was never intended to be the means by which we win God's approval. That wasn't why the law was given. So, Galatians, why would you try such a thing, you fools? In fact, 
One reason, there are many, one reason why the law was given, glance at verse 19 for a second. The argument is a bit technical, but but stay with me. Verse 19, the law was given because of transgressions. And what does that mean? Well, let me highlight just one point. One purpose of the law was to expose our sin. Think of it, you've got God's moral law, his perfect character revealed in the law. And what does it do? It exposes our sin and our desperate need of a saviour because the law is like a mirror and it holds up to us a picture of God's perfection and in doing that, it reveals our absolute failure to meet his standard. Gosh, you know what? I don't even meet my own standards, let alone the standards of the law. And so our failure to keep the law becomes obvious. And so maybe this seems obvious too, but when it comes to being accepted by God, we need to remind ourselves the law is not your friend. It's not going to help you. Because all the law does is reveal the truth that we are lawbreakers and therefore we come under the curse of the law, which means one function of the law is to point to someone who can complete it for us, one who can bear the curse for us. You see it in verse 13, Christ redeemed us, that is, he brought us out of the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's the great exchange. It's written, cursed is everyone who was hung on a pole. Who was hung on the pole? Well, Christ Jesus, who was clearly portrayed as crucified before you, Galatians. And so we've come full circle. Paul began by saying, Do you remember I I preached to you the message Christ crucified? You heard it with your ears by faith and you received it in your hearts. And he's outlined for us the basis of this faith, the one who is cursed for us and who completes the law on our behalf. And so I want to say to you today, if this is your hope, I want to urge you today to go into this week confident that you are loved and cherished and welcomed in God's presence. Oh, sure, there are parts of our lives that need attention. Yes, there is sin that needs to be dealt with. Of course there is. But you are loved, you are welcomed, you are cherished by your Heavenly Father. And despite Satan's accusations to the contrary, God doesn't dwell on your inadequacy or your failure. He doesn't sit there thinking, oh gosh, look at that person's lust or greed or pride. God looks at you and he sees the perfect obedience of his son who gave his life that you would be freed from the curse of the law. That's what he sees. I wonder if you believe that. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith in the crucified Christ are children of Abraham and all who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. That's our status. I wonder if you believe it. The language is a little bit old-fashioned. But there's a section in the Book of Common Prayer that captures something of what I'm getting at. Bear with me. Although we are unworthy through our manifold sins, 
to offer unto thee any sacrifice. Yet we beseech thee to accept this, our bounden duty and service, not weighing our merits, what a relief, but pardoning our offences. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Abraham believed. He was in the right with God. Christ crucified has been clearly portrayed to you and we are invited to believe the same promise that we who rely on faith may be blessed along with Abraham. Do you believe it? Performance or promise? God looks at those who trust in him with nothing less than delight because he sees the perfect obedience of his son who became a curse for us, that we might be the people of God. Let me pray. Gracious God, we do thank you. The gift of your son. We do pray that you train us to continue to trust him, maybe even in new ways this week. Would you remind us of the price that was paid that we would become your children Would you enable us to trust you that we remain your children through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.